everybody before today's podcast episode if you are a teacher if you are a part of a school i'm sure you are using earbuds or headphones please consider tfd supplies for your earbuds they are 55 cents each i say again 55 cents each for earbuds you're not going to find a better price and you are not going to find a better customer experience visit tfdsupplies.com Hello and welcome to the Educators Camp Podcast. My name is Seth Tripp and today is Tuesday, September 18th, 2018. Before we get started today, I want to ask you to go and review the podcast after the episode. If this is your first time listening or you've heard every episode, please take some time to review where you listen in. If you listen on Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, or directly on the website, you can't review there due to each one of the site's policies. So if you could go search Educator Escape on iTunes, CastBox, or Stitcher and review it, I would appreciate it. Reviewing the podcast will help us get noticed and get more listeners. Thank you for listening in today. Last Thursday on the podcast, I started my conversation with Spanish teacher James Eddy. Today will be part two of the podcast, but I'm calling this episode 49.5 instead of 50. When I originally planned to feature James last Thursday, I had no idea our conversation would be so pleasantly verbose and interesting that we couldn't contain it in just one episode. So, even though today is technically episode 50, we'll call it 49.5 to attempt to create some continuation for episode 49 and to have a celebratory episode 50 coming up. Now that I have explained that, Thursday will officially be my 50th episode. Thank you all so much for listening in since this May. I've gotten so much support from family and friends. It's been amazing. On Thursday, I'll be talking with fellow podcaster and teacher Dan Mueller about all the things that I have learned so far through the creation of the podcast. It will be a change of pace from the normal interview style as Dan and I discuss all the details and struggles of podcasting and all I have learned from teachers since the beginning. On Wednesday, I will be releasing my blog post about that very subject. Go give it a read on EducatorEscape.com. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, go search Educator Escape on your favorite podcast site and hit the subscribe button. As of now, we are currently on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and on Spotify. If I don't have it on your favorite, let me know and I will get it there as soon as possible. If you would like to keep track of the podcast on social media, search Educator Escape Hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter, and hit the like button on Facebook. There are reminders for upcoming episodes, podcast release dates, and if I feel anything in the media is pertaining to our podcast, I will share it with you there. If you know any educators who are doing exceptional work and you would love for them to be highlighted on the podcast, please let me know by emailing me at seth.educatorescape at gmail.com, and I would love to feature them on the podcast. Today on the podcast... I'm finishing up my conversation with Spanish teacher and Renaissance man, James Eddy. Here is part two of my interview with James Eddy. My boss, Wang Zhongnin, Esther Zhang, was a complete character. I, I feel like you could, you could probably have like one podcast dedicated to just like Mr. Zhang stories. But, uh, <laughs> so... Okay, so Mr. Jung had spent like 18 years in the U.S. as like a professor or whatever, and he was back in Korea, but his 
wife still his wife lived in like Seoul, so they had. I mean, I don't want to call it a loveless marriage or whatever, but like, uh, we're seeing each other. All, right, right. So, but Mr. Chong kind of like ruled his fiefdom, right? And so I remember like I got Mr. Chong super mad like the second day I was there because I didn't know how to talk to like my Korean boss in a way that was like acceptable. The concept of like saving face is like way bigger over there. So like there is no circumstance in which you as a worker should do anything to like embarrass your boss or like call into question anything about his judgment. So like my first apartment was like atrocious. It was awful. It like like smelled terrible. It like had crayons all over the walls and anyways I'd, I'd said that my apartment was unacceptable and he flipped out he was like so mad at me over that but over a while after a while we kind of we kind of got to be buddies every time we got a new set of students there would be this like this meeting where like like an assembly and you know like the main assembly room it wasn't like an auditorium it was like a multi-purpose room gotcha, kind of gotcha. and he would give these speeches and there was like no concept of like cell phone etiquette. While he's up there talking, like his phone would ring and he would just answer it. Just like everybody had to just like wait, you know? And he would always make uh, everybody give like speeches or like say stuff, you know? So, you know, normally like the, the there were like six foreign teachers and like six uh, Korean teachers. And normally you would say something like, Hi, I'm I'm James teacher. I'm really excited to see you. I can't wait to meet you. We're going to have so much fun speaking English. See you later, right? So, after a while, I would always try to say stuff that like he would have to translate. I would, like <laughs> so I tried to use like metaphors and like flowery and I was like what was it? like um, oh uh, I would always encourage my students to talk and to try no matter what. And then I would be like, the French philosopher Voltaire said that the perfect is the enemy of the good, <laughs> you know? Oh, good. And, gracious. you know, so he would, like, have to translate that. And, you know, so that kind of, like, built our rapport back up. All right, so here's another good Mr. Jung story. Okay. So they would take us on, like, trips and stuff. Uh, they, like, part of, like, being there as a, a guest English teacher is, like, they, they also were, like, trying to sell you on, like, Korea being, like, a real, like, up-and-coming, like, global player. Like, this is, like, a place to be. So uh, they would, like, charter buses and, like, take us on these trips to, like, these, like, beautiful, like, monasteries and, like, temples and, oh, like, really cool stuff. And they would, like, take us out to, uh, like, dinners and, like, the alcohol flowed freely, like... So, like, one of the only ways in which, like, an older person and a younger person could, like, break down the traditional barriers, uh, like, social barriers was when people were drinking. And so, like, then you really got to know your boss well. So he would always make us give speeches at these, like, dinners. And I remember one time he took us all to the Norebang, which is, uh, like, a karaoke room. Okay. And, like, Mr. Jung nailed I Left My Heart in San Francisco without looking what i mean nailed the song oh so good anyways one time we had gone on this like trip to a temple and on the way home like it's, it's like really prestigious if you have like like americans or like canadians working for you as like okay. a korean boss right so, so we like unannounced stopped by a funeral so he could kind of like show off like look at what i got right uh, <laughs> all right okay uh, this story okay this is a good one okay 
So at one point I had this apartment there that was, uh, it used to be like a piano school. It was like set up really weird where like one half of it was like a definite finished apartment. And then the other half was where like the piano school was. So it was like this one big room with like little practice rooms and the walls were like made out of styrofoam. It was weird. But anyways, I went and I went down from my apartment to go to the grocery store, which was like a block away. Like if you threw a rock, not very hard, like you could hit the grocery store, right? Between my apartment and the grocery store, there was the restaurant where like chicken feet and then chicken anuses was the thing. And oh. I, the, the sign said it like, like, uh, like, oh gosh, sure like dong, dong was the word. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyways, so then after that was Ganyok, which is uh, uh, Korean for like, uh, the station where friends meet, right? Okay. So as I'm walking past Ganyok, out comes Mr. Chung, my boss. Like just, he's like, James, <laughs> James. <laughs> and at this point, uh, my girlfriend Jen had like moved out with me. We ended up getting married, right? So she's wife, have kids now, happily ever after, right? Awesome. He's like, he's like, and, and they would just call her my wife, right? Like they didn't, you know, they didn't care. So they're like, he's like, grab your wife. Tell her to come here right now. And so I had to go back upstairs and I'm like, Chen, I just ran into Mr. John on <laughs> uh, the way back from the grocery store. You need to get dressed. We have to go out with him. So we sit and we like meet this other like random old dude who's like kind of like, like, I don't know, just very stone based. And then I guess Mr. Jung really kept up with his friends because then we went to his elementary school alumni association like get together oh my goodness uh, yeah yeah and so it's like at this bar and it's like all these old dudes are just like going to town on some some soju and some uh, you know beer and i remember they were eating watermelon and he's like look at these people i have that work for me <laughs> you know <laughs> and so you know he was just a character. Stuff like that would happen all the time. Uh, like our teachers' lounge at the school, he like kind of converted it into like, like the best bachelor pad humanly possible. So it's really common in Korean schools to have like a bed for the oldest teacher to like take a nap during the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's right? awesome. So in this room, it also had two treadmills, a weight bench, a full-size ping pong table a 42-inch flat screen, two sofas, and a regulation-sized billiards table, but it wasn't like a normal like nine ball, like like six pockets. It was this game called Karam, where if that, that was like a whole entire interesting thing. So it's like a European billiards game where you have one ball that's like the... I don't know, what do you call it? Like the scratch ball, the one you hit. Right. Uh, yeah. And then... The cue uh, ball. Yeah, the cue. There you go. And then with the cue ball you try to hit the other two balls with one shot. So like, whereas in like normal pools, you try to have the cue ball hit, you know, a numbered ball into a pocket. And this one, you tried to hit the other ball and then make the cue ball touch the second ball. And then like to add complexity, you would have to like go off the bump. Really super challenging game. So like he had set it up to be like, just this like total like bachelor pad okay uh anyways so teaching in korea was really interesting like i like i could just go on about mr jung for hours <laughs> I, I like <laughs> oh that guy was such a character what 
makes you? What made you leave, Mister Young and Mister? After a while, I was just kind of like, I'm sitting here, kind of like, uh, you would meet people who had been working there for a really long time, and then just kind of off, you know. I was like, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> right, right, right. And so my wife and I, you know, so I proposed to her uh, on like one of our trips. Did you see that movie, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio? That particular Sorry. beach, that's where I proposed to my wife, right? So Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was like super cool. So then like we came back home and we got married and then like, you know, started having kids. So after teaching in South Korea, I came back to the U.S. and once again, like still... Not like a full-on certified teacher, but I got a job then teaching at a different school, doing part-time Spanish and part-time computers. And that charter school was definitely not as well-run as the first place where I worked. And I remember, like, they're like, you're teaching computers, but we haven't gotten the computer lab set up. Just entertain them, you know? And so it's like, what? What do you even do? So uh, I worked there for two years, and that was like a cool place to work. I still keep up with a lot of the people from there because one year they asked me to be the MC for their trivia night, and so then I've been doing it ever since. So for like the last seven years, I still do trivia night for like this one school, and so like I, I have to like make up all the questions and everything, and they actually pay me, which is like kind of a sweet side job. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked there for two years and while I was working there, I finally got my certification. In Missouri, you could only get it through this alternative route for like science, math, or English language arts. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at math. I'll do this math thing. And so I remember like studying for it, you know, like my old study habits when I was getting my degree in Spanish was like, I could watch TV and just like translate whatever and write my paper and whatnot. And so uh, I remember getting the study booklet, and I was like, wow, I am not as good at math as I had thought. So I ended up hiring a tutor, and so the guy that I got to tutor me was like a sci- research scientist at Pfizer. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and so he just did tutored high-level math for fun, right? That was like his thing. Huh. Uh, yeah, I know, right? So... I ended up, you know, seeing this guy like twice a week for, you know, a couple hours at a time. And I ended up taking the test. I passed it the first time. It was like the hardest math test I've ever taken in my life. So I ended up getting my certification in five through nine and nine through 12 math. And then I took the praxis for Spanish. So I avoided having to do like, like if I were going to get a certification in Spanish from my Spanish degree, it would have been like a lot of like grad school. And so for this, I like circumvented that with a relatively inexpensive alternative program and then took a test. Right. So then once I was like full on certified, I'm like, I am not doing this charter school mess anymore because around here, like a real school district, like there's so many people looking for jobs, like they won't even mess with people that aren't certified. So got my my first job at a, a bigger boy and girl school district and it ended up being like a really long commute from my house, even longer than I do now, but I loved it. It was like a, a rural school and that was just like, just it was great like everybody was just where was it at this was in desoto missouri so my my dad graduated from desoto high school oh okay go dragons go dragons yeah yeah 
Yeah. So I loved working down there. So I was split between the middle school and the high school. And so like they had my room on the high school at the very end of the hallway. So then my room in the middle school was like the first one across like the breezeway that you had to walk across. So like I had to get cold every day to like go between classes. But, but it was great. Like I, I, I really loved it. So you are at DeSoto. Uh-huh. You're going back and forth yeah. between both buildings. Yeah. So where were you living in St. Louis at the time? The- uh, so uh, I was living, uh, so where I live now in Glendale. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I first got back from Korea, I lived in um, uh, like an apartment complex in Kirkwood. And then okay. while I was still working at the charter school, we bought a home in Glendale. And uh, interesting story about our home. Did you see that movie, uh, The Informant with Matt Damon? No, it's on Netflix. It's on my my watch, uh, my list or whatever to watch list. All right. So that guy, Mark Whitaker owned my house before he moved to Illinois and worked for the company that he embezzled from. So I found that really just like a total and like legit, like we, you know, like you search. Yeah. Like we, we researched this. Yeah. This guy owned my house before, you know, like, yeah, I know. Right. What a like totally random claim to fame. That's like back to Seinfeld, like the John Voight's car thing. Oh yeah. So, (laughs) right. Okay. Yeah. So, I was doing this crazy long commute. So then I'd finished up my master's in educational technology. And so I really enjoyed like the graphic design aspect of it. So I, so that's when I started like selling stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers. I don't know if you oh, know yeah. that. Yep. But like, I bought things from there. Okay. I, it, like, so I've gotten enough to where it, my stuff is popular enough that it's like a passive income of like, it's like a hundred bucks a month and just like Currently? worksheets. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Just just worksheets and like posters and stuff that I've made. Cool. And yeah, it's it's actually really cool. And it made me be a lot more thoughtful in the materials that I produced because then it's like other people who are also potentially experts in the subject are going to be looking at it. So I really need to, you know, make sure it's good. But like one of my, my best selling items, which totally surprises me, is this poster I made as like a project in class and it's like a mnemonic on the differences between ser and estar, which are two verbs in Spanish that okay. both mean to be. But anyways, I did a kind of a joke off of Hamlet. And so because like the poster, like the requirements on, on it, like was that you had to use like, you know, like photographs that you had taken and like then used Photoshop to like manipulate. So I'd gone up to uh, the biology classroom above me and I'd borrowed a, a skull. And I got one of my students to take a picture of pictures of me, like holding the skull, like Hamlet Act Two style. Right, right, right. And so, like, this poster has like me on the bottom holding up these skulls, and uh, it's like fairly popular product. Oh. So, I'd imagine there's, you know, I'm, I'm my face is in, you know, several classrooms, and so I have that poster in my classroom, and my students are like. Is that you? And I'm like, that exceptionally handsome group of twins over there. <laughs> you know? So, you know, like, but it's, you know, like me, like five years ago, you know? And uh... then I was like, oh man, I can't do this like super long commute. It was like 45 minutes each way. And then, you know, I started like putting out applications of like stuff that's closer in and, you know, even for Spanish, it can be like really competitive. And Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes 
I'm at uh, a disadvantage as being like a non-native spe- Spanish speaker, you know. Okay. Like in terms of being combative, but then may- then again, maybe I'm not, you know. Like I think it might be just preference of like the hiring principal. So, anyways, I applied for the job I'm currently in now, and then like the next day, the principal called me to get for an interview and so i guess i'd gotten it like right in as they were like stopping taking applications ah, okay. so i assume that like i was on top and they were like all right that's an interesting strategy i'll yeah. remember that one next time yeah yeah so i ended up interviewing and i had to and like they had like a very intense interview process i had to like come and teach a class in front of them and stuff and so anyways that so that's in st charles and that's where i've been working for the last four years that's what I'm doing now is I'm teaching middle school Spanish. And please note that through my entire career, I have never had to teach anything beyond Spanish one. So like I've gotten to teach the past tense in Spanish, like, I don't know, like three or four times if I managed to get to it in a year. So, you know, then I always worry about, you know, like, is my Spanish atrophying, you know, like, am I losing it? One thing that's really interesting as a Spanish teacher that I don't think like really too many other teachers have to face in the U.S. is I get students who are better than I am at speaking Spanish frequently. You know, I have kids that are native speakers at home, but then the interesting thing is like the Spanish that I learned is like, like proper good grammar Spanish. A lot of these kids have never had to like read or write anything in Spanish. And so it's interesting to see like native Spanish speakers, like some of their like spelling mistakes are really consistent. So like the B and V sounds are nearly identical in Spanish. So like my kids will misspell stuff, swapping out B's and V's. You know, sometimes, you know, occasionally you'll get a student whose handwriting is like borderline illegible, but like you get the idea that like they know what they're talking about. So I have that like in Spanish where it's like, I clearly know what this kid was trying to say. I could say it to him and he could nail it perfectly. But like when you look at it, you're like, man, that is a lot of letters on that. (laughs) (laughs) So I I find that to be really interesting. And, you know, the, I, I, I think the key to it is like, I try not to be, feel like threatened. Honestly, I feel more like I'm being judged on my Spanish from other Spanish teachers who are non-native speakers than I am from the native speakers. Because it's it's kind of like, um, you know, when you speak to somebody who maybe their English isn't perfect and, like, you can, like, bridge the gaps kind of deal. You know, like, everybody gets the same benefit. And I try to right. explain that to my students. And I feel like other native Spanish speakers are less judgy of, like, you know, it's like, oh, they messed up on the, you know... Uh, gender agreement or like oh that really should have been in subjunctive not the the, you know not you know like you know I, I don't really mind that and also being like the Spanish teacher I find that you know on like a school event nights I end up doing like translations and like I think I'm like like here in St. Louis we don't have like a particularly large like Hispanic or Latino population of students but it's the growing. people in the Rittner school district would disagree with you oh really well it's it's like in pockets it's very much in pockets. yeah so like we have a growing chunk in St. Charles where I work it's really nice to be able to connect with those parents and really give them kind of like a sympathetic face to to work with at school, like so few, I mean, think about how many, you know, Americans here that you meet that will say like, oh, I took 
Spanish for four years in college and I don't remember anything. And to the audience, like, yeah, I, I judge that like real hard. So like, how, how do you do anything? So like, you know, if you took like two years of Spanish in high school, right? Assuming you were there most days. So let's see in one school year of anywhere from 160 hours to 180 hours of doing that times two. And you remember zero from that? I think, I think part of it has to do with the fact that a lot yeah. of those people weren't um, immersed in it and yeah. weren't forced to use it. Like my wife, Rachel, mm-hmm. she spent a month in Spain. Uh-huh. She was forced to use it. And uh-huh. she's she's not fluent, but she can definitely hold her own against mm-hmm. with, with students right now. And, and I, I only took two years of Spanish in high school, uh-huh. but I worked in the back of kitchens for yeah. four or five years of my life. And I had to speak Spanish mm-hmm. or otherwise... I, we would always be messing up orders. Yeah. So, and I don't mean to sound that stereotypically, but that's that's how, that's, that's what that's it was. That's the reality on that's the ground the reality. everywhere. It really is. You have to do to survive. And I think those mm-hmm. people that have forgotten it, they were taught it, but they never mm-hmm. had to apply it. And there's a lot of like in one ear, out the other. And just like culturally in the United States, we don't hold anybody accountable we're remembering anything in a foreign language class like past like the test day like we don't view it as being like a particularly valuable skill if somebody told you like oh i can't do basic math like they wouldn't like laugh that off the way people say you know i don't remember anything from spanish class like nobody would laugh off being you know like functionally illiterate in english the way we laugh off, you know, not picking up anything from foreign language. I don't have a chip on my shoulder about it or anything, <laughs> though. Um, you know. So, you know, just like systematically the way we do foreign language, like there's no way anybody can succeed at it. You know, like I feel like I'm definitely the exception. But, you know, where I went to school... We didn't start foreign language until ninth grade, and I took Latin the first three years of school. And like, uh, anyways, Mrs. Harden, my the Latin four teacher, they would not recommend me for that class. So I was like, forget that. And then I took Spanish, started taking Spanish, and like, here I am now. So thank you, Mrs. Harden, wherever. And now you're at Harden yeah. Middle School. Now I'm at Harden Middle. I know. Look at that irony. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, she would ask you, like, how are you today? And then we all had, like, Latin names, so she'd be like, Quidacus Hodier, type E, you know? And you'd be like, Bene! She would always sit on her uh, her desk, and uh, it was one of those, like, metal desks that with, like, the metal plate at the front, you know? And she would swing her legs, and just every once in a while, she would hit that plate, and it was like a gong going <laughs> off in the middle of class. So, yeah. Okay. Full circle on the Harden thing. Okay, yeah. So you are a big proponent of using technology in the classroom. How do you use that with with Spanish? It seems like it would be one of the harder. I know they have you know like Duolingo and. All those other th- and the Rosetta Stone and stuff for people who are learning English, but that's really not for a classroom setting. Right. That's on a personal level. So, like nowadays, most textbooks have like an online component. Um, oh, okay. That does like 
listening and like videos and stuff. And that's all well and good, but I find that like my students don't take it that seriously and I don't get really great results from them just doing that. Like if they were to only rely on like the online components that are given to them, like they wouldn't get anywhere. Like, I mean, how many people do you know that have like tried Rosetta Stone and it didn't work at all? I don't know anybody that's tried Rosetta Stone. Uh, I know multiple people and it did, didn't did, work, did for it them. work for them. Oh, and, okay. and it's one of the, I, and it's one of those deals where you, you're going to get as much out of like a Spanish program as you decide to get out of it. You right. know, like you're either going to be like making yourself learn or, you know, nobody learns by just like having the Spanish channel on in the background. There's a great TED talk on that, by the way. So things that I like to do to incorporate technology, we use like all the Google apps at our, our school and I'm a huge fan of them. So one thing that the Google apps do really well is they allow you to collaborate. And when you have the internet, you have you know, uh, infinite information, you know, at your fingertips. So like one project that I've done that I had really good success with was my students would, uh, like I would give them a satellite image of like a continent and they would have to make a weather map together based on like real weather data. Okay. So, and then like, because I, I really like graphic design, I'm very specific about like like making things look nice. I, I worked with this art teacher at DeSoto who would be a great person to interview, by the way. Okay. And so he, he also taught Spanish and he taught art, okay. uh, but he's like a legit artist too. And uh, so he moved like completely into teaching art. He would give kids like not good grades for like ugly work. <laughs> And, and I mean, he would be like, that's not very good. You can do better. And like, he would just like flat out tell him. And, uh, I was like, man, that's that's, gutsy. Yeah. Yeah. And so like when my students do kind of, you know, like just slopping some junk on there, like I tell them, I'm like, I don't know. That's like, not that like you can do better than that, you know? And, but when you just, but if you were to just be like, oh, that's awful, you know, that's like really heartless and, and, and cruel. So, you know, you have to word it nicely and then you have to give them like actual concrete pointers. Here's a pro tip for everybody. Use the same font for everything. Don't make your stuff look like a ransom note, you know, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, working on things like, <laughs> let's just make everything the same font, you know, or, uh, like giving kids ideas of like things they can do to go further. So like if, you know, the weather is cold there, you know, make the temperature, you know, blue. I hit on using the metric system. So everything has to be in Celsius. I have to make sure that all of the place names are like correct in Spanish. And then, then, you know, once they produce this like piece of artwork my principal sprung for like a big poster printer a few years ago awesome so then like we print them out big and they have like an accompanying document that like has everything written out like in bogota hace mucho color you know so like i display it and then you know i i've had uh like i used to always be like oh if like the student work isn't perfect i'm not going to display it and now i just display it like warts and all like this is this is how it turned out i don't know i've 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 had like really good luck with that particular project and i've you know when i've set the expectations high over like whether or not something looks presentable you know because presenting things to like large groups of people and trying to express like your ideas 
it it has to look nice. I mean, that that's just like the flat out reality is like we need to be making sure that like our students are producing things that look nice. Like there's a reason why we're putting the A into STEM to make it STEAM, you know? You know, like we don't focus enough on things being like aesthetically pleasing because I mean, it really makes a huge difference in terms of like how your audience receives you and, and how seriously they take it. Thank you, James, for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thank you for letting me into your world. Thank you all for listening in. If you'd like to keep track of the podcast on social media, search Educator Escape and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter and hit the like button on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen into podcasts. I want you to be the first to get all of our new episodes. After you have subscribed, go give us a review. It helps us get noticed. If you're on the Facebook group or you're on my Facebook page or you're on the Educator Escape Facebook page, go fill out a Google form about how we're doing as a podcast so we can better improve it. I would really appreciate it. If you know any educators who are doing exceptional work and you would love for them to be highlighted on the podcast, let me know by emailing me at seth.educatorescape at gmail.com and I would love to feature them on the podcast. In light of the subject matter today, I want to leave you with another Korean proverb. I've been collecting them, which I believe to be about making yourself available to every in-need student. A great river does not refuse any small streams. Thank you for listening into this episode. Have a great day, and I will talk to you on Thursday. I'm out of here.